0: You're a student, you're dismissed. For the rest of us here today, I greet you in the name of my Savior. I'm very happy you're here. Um, we're going to look at something today that's sort of... Well, I just want, I want us to really listen to the Spirit of God... Um, Back, let me pray for us one more time. Lord Jesus, unless you open the eyes of our hearts, like the apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians one, we're going to miss this, and it will be to our loss and detriment. If we do. So I just pray that you would do what we can't. That you would free us and rid us of all that would distract and blind us. And give us the ability to see and hear and understand and embrace that which you have for us. Your word is true, and it's life-giving, and it is more powerful than any foe or need or problem in our lives. And so we ask you to let it enter our minds and hearts and do its perfect work. And we thank you, Lord, in advance for doing that. In Christ's name, amen. Um, y'all all know that I read through the Bible every year and I hope and pray, I really do hope and pray regularly that you will join me in that and those of you that did begin reading through your Bible this year, um, we read about Adam and Eve, right? Uh, one of the first things that we read is about creation and God's. Uh, creating man and woman Um, and I have read that story once or twice or three times every year for uh, 42 years but this year in a fresh way um, what jumped out at me in those beginning pages of Genesis was just the the issue of deception, uh, just how I find it very significant that in the very first few pages of the Bible and it, and the very first challenge that mankind faces and fails miserably is this issue of deception Adam and Eve the bible says they were deceived um and it just spoke to me about how in my life and in your life this ongoing battle and danger that we face with deception. It's incessant. It's unrelenting. It is always around us and attacking us. This this power of deception. I find it very significant. And like I said, I. I Maybe I should have, but it just never hit me. The Bible begins with the issue of deception and the very last event before God makes things right. The very first thing that messes up what God set up and the very last thing before God makes it right again at deception. The Bible says in Revelation 20, and the devil that deceived them, them being the peoples of the world. So the Bible begins with deception and the Bible ends with deception. I find that very attention-getting. The Bible is continually warning us as New Testament believers about this issue of deception. Ephesians 5, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty and worthless words. Galatians 6, Paul says, Don't be deceived. You will never mock God's sovereignty or God's justice. Colossians chapter 2 Paul says, don't let people deceive you through their worthless philosophies and beliefs. And in 1 John chapter 3, John says, precious children, children of God, precious children of God, let no one deceive you. Seems to be a big deal. Seems to be a big issue that uh, the New Testament writers wanted to warn us about. This idea that we live in a world full of deception and it's coming at us from various sources and it's attacking us in various forms. Just to give you a few, and I could go on and on. I started out this message, it was well, five pages long. This morning I weeded it down to a page and a half. Uh, but just shows you how much I had to discard related to this issue of deception. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, Revelation 20, and Second Timothy 3 that some of the enemies that are attacking us with deception is that we live in a world that is filled with lying spirits. You think, well, what are what are lying spirits? That's a great question, and I don't necessarily have the knowledge or the time to even get into that. But it says that we are living in a world filled with lying and deceiving spirits. He is the who are trying to deceive us. The point is simply that You and I get up every morning, we put on our clothes, we brush our teeth, and we go out into a world that is filled with attempts, real attempts to try to deceive us. Um I have to believe that because of the, the information world that we live in, we face Attacks of deception like never before. I genuinely believe that. That is very bad. But it's also very good. Because I had dinner uh, Friday night. With some precious people. Precious. And uh, one of the people that was at this party... um, as far as I know, he, he doesn't know the Lord uh, as his Savior, not yet. Um, but he's a very knowledgeable, bright, uh, intelligent, educated man. And he was sitting next to me at this dinner party deal. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I just don't know where to look anymore to try to find the truth. Now you and I might go, we might think, well gosh, that's terrible that people don't even know where to look. But at least he's realizing that he better weed out a bunch of sources that he might have in the past looked to to find truth, but it wasn't there. And hopefully he will um, ultimately seek after the truth uh, where there is ultimate truth I just anyway um, I would suggest to you that at the end of the day of all the deceptions that I face and that you face that is the most dangerous the most heinous the most relentless is not deception that comes from without it's not the deception that comes to us through Fox News or CNN or Facebook or any of the other things that that are the newspapers, whatever it is um, that's not where the ultimate and most dangerous sources of deceit come. The Bible would suggest that the greatest source of deceit that you and I face is the deceit in our own hearts and for those of you that have this uh, belief that uh, man is noble and good and that if we just let the goodness inside us control us and we give everybody enough education and enough money and enough health care that somehow that goodness will well up in us and spill out of us and make the world a wonderful place. Boy, that's a bad plan. And bad, that is, boy, that is wrong information. Because what the Bible would suggest is that that at your core and at my core, what is in my heart and what drives my heart is my own foolish deception. If you'd like to read more, 3, and you can look at Jeremiah chapter 17. You look at, could look at Romans chapter 3, and you could look at Roman, uh, 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 Mark chapter 7. Because in all three of those chapters, the theme of those chapters is, your heart and my heart at its core is a heart full of deception. The Bible says in Isaiah 44 that we're deceived by our idols. Obadiah chapter 1 says we're deceived by our pride. Mark chapter 4 says we are deceived by our wealth and our abundance. Judges chapter 16 says that we are deceived by our passions. The Bible goes on to suggest that we grow in our deception. We, we build upon that deception we, we go deeper into our deception when we begin to embrace or let me turn that around when we begin to deny certain things that maybe at an earlier point in our lives we believed by example the Bible says that we grow in deception when we start to believe that you don't really reap what you sow. That's in Galatians chapter 6. We grow in deception when we start denying that if I sow death, I won't get death. I can sow death and get life. I can sow that which the, the works of the flesh, that which is ignoble, that which is low road, that which is B team, that which is just not reflective of the goodness and the holiness and the righteousness of God. I can sow those things, and somehow they won't come back into my life in similar fashion and measure. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 that I grow in deception when I deny that I'm a sinner. You're good, I'm good. I stub my toe and I make a few mistakes, mistakes, but at my core I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. The Bible says that people that believe that grow in deception. The Bible says that we grow in deception when we actually operate under the premise that what the Bible says is bad company corrupts good morals. That's not true. That's not true. I can hang around people that have no faith and that won't lessen my faith. I can hang around people that mock and scorn and criticize and demean their wives. That won't affect my view of my wife. I can hang around people that mock and berate and, and, and speak ill of their parents, and that won't affect me. I'll still honor and love my parents. I can hang around people that are shallow and petty and worldly and selfish, uh, self-focused. That won't affect me. But the Bible says that people that actually believe I can live in an environment and it will not affect me. You're growing in deception. And I could go on and on and on. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, living by the world's wisdom causes us to grow in deception. Um, uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that people that deceive grow in their own deception people that deceive others, they ultimately, the person they ultimately deceive the most, is themselves. Isaiah chapter 5 says that we grow in deception, and this is a real live one here, folks. Just read the the news, however you get the news. Read the news. Isaiah, what did I say? Isaiah chapter 5 says, we grow in deception, when we call good what God calls bad, and when we call bad what God calls good, self deception, getting into a place where I am not able. To recognize the things in my life that that alienate me from the relationships in my life that are of utmost importance. Including my relationship with God. Getting into a place where I'm unable or unwilling to see in my life. Those things that are clearly harmful, inconsistent. And healthy. An an inability to see in my own life. The things that I can clearly see in yours. The Bible calls that deception. The Bible is filled with examples. That validate the things that I just shared. It's a veritable cornucopia. Of the biblical who's who. In fact, I almost can say this with confidence. I don't know that the Bible mentions anybody and gives them significant ink. Sure, there's some dude or some woman that's, you know, just mentioned in passing. But I'd like to know a person in the Bible that is given a lot of ink where we are not given an example in their lives of where they battled with self-deception. Adam and Eve, Cain, Lot, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, uh, Pharaoh, Moses, Aaron, Achan, Samson, Saul, Nebuchadnezzar, Jonah. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you think of somebody that's given a lot of ink in the Bible... And you, and you can't find an example of, of self-deception in their lives, I'd like to know about it. I, I just can't think of one right now. The two that jump out at me, are to me, most clearly, one being King David. There is no one in the Bible that loved God more than King David. He loved God. He loved God with all of his heart. He had a love and a passion for God that was unparalleled. And yet, not once, not twice, but a number of times, King David was deceived by himself. I had some lady the other day, in fact, one of my most favorite People on the planet, I can't tell you how much I admire and I adore this lady. I mean, literally, I, my wife would tell you I adore her. She's trying to convince me that the David Bathsheba debacle was Bathsheba's fault. I said, what? She said, oh, yeah, David was just minding his own business, and that old wicked uh, hussy just, just, just tempted him into, into falling. I could see some knothead man believe in such trash. But this is a real live, bona fide, brilliant uh, lady. And I'm like, well, you're wrong. I'm just, I'm just telling you that. I'm not even giving you my opinion. I'm telling you you're wrong. David, I'm not saying she didn't contribute. I'm not saying she didn't participate. I'm not making her some kind of a victim. I don't believe that, in that at all. But let's not be confused. He saw a good-looking woman, and that, whatever it is, uh, wanting to relive the teenage years and had a bona fide Chevy, um, welled up in him, and he went and snatched her up and had a bona fide affair. That, where'd that come from? Oh, it was the devil. Oh, it was those evil spirits. Oh, it was a, another person, a wicked person. Maybe all that had something. But at the end of the day, where'd that come from? His own heart. His own heart. The point of that story is that people who love God with every molecule of their being, they are susceptible to self-deception. That's the point of that story, is that that which David did, a lover of God, someone that is abandoned to God, if he doesn't get up every morning and fight the good fight and try to combat the, 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 the deception from without and the deception from within We'll do the exact same thing. We'll do the exact same thing. Different versions, different manifestations, different expressions, of course. But just as destructive and just as inconsistent with someone that genuinely loves God as David did. David could see in that, uh, that uh, you know, the dude that owned the sheep, the little lamb, and the, the 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 next door neighbor, the rich next door neighbor, snatches the poor man's lamb and uh, serves it to his kills and serves it to his guest uh, instead of using one of his own sheep, benefiting from his own abundance. He harms, he robs, and harms another man's abundance. Uh, Rather than uh, benefiting from his own. And David is so furious. That man deserves to die. David, he's talking about you, you moron. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. He couldn't see it. Self-deception, he was blind to that which was true. The other example is Peter. Give you an Old Testament, give you a New Testament example. No one was closer to Jesus. No one knew more about about Jesus. No one grasped Jesus' heart as much as Simon Peter did. He literally walked with him for three years. He loved him. He followed him and served him. He heard him. He, He knew Jesus. Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to flee from me. You're going to abandon me. Oh, no, Lord. My faith is strong. My devotion is true. My faithfulness is right on target. Is that right? Yes, Lord. I love you. I'll trust you. I will follow you. I'll never deny you. Is that right? Peter was self deceived. He thought something was true about his life that wasn't true. And he couldn't see the weaknesses in his life that were really there. And I can give you example after example. One of the most humorous, tragic, but humorous examples uh, for me is in John chapter 12 where Jesus tells the the Pharisees, the biblical scholars of his day, um, you were all slaves. And he's talking about slaves to sin. But he says, y'all are all slaves. And the Pharisees' response was, we're not slaves. We've never been slaves. What about that Roman soldier standing right over there on the corner? What about that Roman battalion that's just, just, just right up the street? Y'all aren't slaves? No, we're not slaves. What a... What, a, what self-deception? Open your eyes Look on every street corner. There are Roman soldiers enslaving you everywhere you look that control and influence and impact every aspect of your life. No, that's not true. Wow. You mean that people can be in true enslavement And bondage to things that they can't even see. Or at least won't even acknowledge. Well, back then maybe. How about anger? How about booze? How about fear? How about greed? How about unforgiveness? How about pride? I don't struggle with those things. You don't. I'm not a slave to those things. Is that right? Revelation chapter 3 gives us a great example. You might think, well, that might be true of non-Christians. How about the Christians in the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 3. The believers at the church at Laodicea. Jesus says, you say... I am rich and self-made and self-sufficient and I don't need a thing from anybody. But you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the words of the Lord Jesus talking to Christians. You see yourself through a set of lenses. I'm good. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Got any sin to confess? No. Need anything from God today? No. I'm good. That's how we see ourselves so often. And yet Jesus sees us differently. How do you know if you struggle with self deception Are there any symptoms, indicators? Well, the Bible gives us an abundance. Let me give you a few just examples. If you want the Bible verses that go with these, just text me and I'll send you this message. And all the Bible verses are listed. Um, People who battle with self-deception, they don't have control of their words. They speak hurtful and dishonest words and don't realize it. They value Bible knowledge over Bible obedience. They battle with anger. They're self-consumed. They lack compassion. They desire to please themselves more than God. They care more about people's opinions than God's. And they have a certain attitude about sin. I touched on this earlier. And their attitude about sin is this. I can sin... And get away with it. That's 1 John chapter 3 and 1 John and Galatians chapter 6. They have the belief that I can sin and I won't get caught. I'm the exception to the rule. I can sow death and reap life. I can sow flesh and reap the spirit. They also battle with sin from the, from the um, mindset that my sin is a private matter. What I mean by that is, I can sin and it will only affect me. My sin is just between me and God. My choice to rebel, to disobey, to do wrong. That has nothing to do with anybody else. And it sure won't hurt my mate or children. I just want to tell you from personal experience. I do battle with self-deception. But I don't battle with that anymore. There was a day when I actually believed that. I could sin and I wouldn't get caught. And I could sin and it wouldn't hurt my wife and my daughter. that's not true and not just my wife and my daughter I sinned and I hurt a lot of people in this room greatly who've chosen to forgive me and love me like my wife and my daughter have but you see the deceit I can do what I want and if if I get caught, if I have to suffer the consequences that's just between me and God that's not true guys when I look at stuff that I shouldn't look at, when I have conversations that I shouldn't have, when I handle my money in ways that I shouldn't handle, when I put things in my body that I shouldn't put in my body, when I hold on to attitudes that I should let go of, when I choose to hate or be prejudiced or not forgive, when I choose to treat my wife or my family in ways that are disrespectful or mean-spirited, I can't keep it contained it's like a virus that spreads like wildfire and it's only self deceit that would try to convince me otherwise well in the last few minutes i want to share with you something what's what's your strategy to try to fight self deception do you have a strategy does it, do you even think about that? That I could get up today. Today could be my, day, my King David day. When I deceive myself into thinking that things that are bad really are good. Or things that are good really are bad. Today could be the day that I get up and, and see things in ways that are not true. Make decisions that I am oblivious to the consequences—the devastating consequences that are going to result. I, I'm blind to it. What do you do? What, do? what do I do? What do you do to try to thwart that and fight that and combat that and stop that? This is not an all-encompassing list, and I don't mean—I don't even think that way. But let me just give you a, a couple of thoughts. That I wish you would think about as you begin this new year and as I begin this new year. Number one, just taking personal responsibility for my own fight against deception. I can't blame others, I can't, I've got to own the reality that it's my heart that is broken. And darkened and selfish and filled with self-conceit. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in James chapter 1, they both those writers, Peter and James, both say the same thing. They say, rid yourselves of all self conceit. You gotta own it. I've gotta, I've gotta take responsibility for my own. Self-preservation and battle it says I spend time in the presence of God in prayer. That the light of God shines in the dark places of my heart. Where I'm self-deceived. Psalm chapter uh, 120 says this. S- uh, the psalmist says, Save me, O Lord from lying lips and deceitful words. And in Psalm 19, David says, Lord, I cannot know the sin in my heart. Would you cleanse me from my hidden sins? And then in Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Lord, please search me and test me, and know my heart and my mind? And would you reveal to me every offensive thing dwelling in my heart? Do you see all three of those psalmists, all three of those biblical writers, what are they doing? They're saying, God, I can't see it. Reveal to tell me things that are wrong in my heart. I won't, I won't see it. I'll be blind to it. Those of you that have gone through AA or Al-Anon or any other kind of rehab thing, you know you remember a time when for somebody to say you're an alcoholic or you're living with an alcoholic. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. Everything's great. I'm not in bondage. I'm not enslaved to that. You couldn't see it until one day through various circumstances, I believe it's the Spirit of God, He opened your eyes to see what was true. Well, the psalmist was just saying that unless God opens my eyes to the sinfulness and the deceitfulness in my heart, I will never see it. The Bible says that the light of God's Word makes me aware of the deceit in my heart. Psalm 119 says God's Word is a lamp for my feet. And a light for my path. And in 2 Peter 1 he says. Those who fail to grow. In their knowledge of God's word. Or short sighted. Deceived. And blind. Another thing we can do to fight self deception. We can. Remember what I talked about last Sunday. Finding one thing. Read your Bible every day. And after you read it, or as you read it, find one thing, one thing that you can actively practice that day. The Bible says in 1 John 1, we are to walk in the light of God's Word. And if you do, it says you will avoid lying and deceiving yourself. And in James chapter 1 Jesus' brother brother says don't just listen to God's word do what it says because if you don't you are deceiving yourself. Practice something that you know God is saying to you. Another thing we can do to fight self-deception we can walk in the light of accountability. Valuing spiritual friends and spiritual community. Remember that story, or the, the, what, what, what I talked about at the beginning of the message today about Adam and Eve? What did God say to Adam? It's not good for man to be alone. And the context there is obviously you need a mate. But it's so much more there. There's so much more. It's not good to go through life spiritually alone. We need people around us. That's why having a spiritual community is so important. We're not supposed to go through life alone. We're not supposed to try to follow God alone. We're not supposed to fight our spiritual battles alone. We're not supposed to lick our wounds alone. We're not supposed to battle our self-deception alone. Deception is thwarted most effectively In an atmosphere of mutual challenge, encouragement, prayer, example, and rebuke. Job said this in chapter 34. Let us learn and discern together what is right and good. And in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Do you know what Paul's saying in Galatians 6? There are people in this room. There were people that Paul was writing to in the church of Galatia who said, I don't need other people. I, me, and Jesus, me and Jesus are enough. Me and Jesus got this. Me and Jesus can walk through life together. I don't need to carry other people's burdens. And I don't need you to carry mine. I can do this on my own. And Paul says, you're thinking you're something when you're not. And you're deceiving yourself. Let me just quickly say this one. And if this doesn't apply to you, there probably is somebody in your life that you could use as a substitute. Okay? I believe that. But I I just want to declare to you the gift of your mate in your battle with self-deception. One of the most important roles that a mate or future mate uh, has in your life is they are an incredible source of light to shine into the darkness of your heart regarding self-deception. Sadly, I think most people ignore that or reject that or shut that down. But God gave you a mate or someone else in your life of that level of intimacy and significance who knows you. They know you. They know you. They know you. you. And remarkably, they still love you. oh that oh that we would access their wisdom their perspective their discernment in helping us see things about ourselves that we cannot see i was married for 6 i don't know how many years a long time my wife tried to talk to me about my battle with anger and I wouldn't listen to her I couldn't hear it she could see it and I couldn't and uh, when my daughter turned about I don't know 15 she wanted to start dating dastardly moment in life um, just it's it's heinous uh, but you, you, there's nothing you can do about it um, and, and Shirley sat me down one day, and I mean, we had a come-to-Jesus meeting. And she said, Larry, if you don't seriously begin to own and work on your anger, you're going to lose your relationship with your daughter. And man, it, again, it was, the, it was the Lord, it was the Holy Spirit. He opened my eyes. I'm not saying he zapped me with a cure-all because he didn't. I wished he had, but he didn't. Uh, But I could see what my wife saw for the very first time. I find it, I never saw this until this week. Where did God take Eve from? Adam's rib. What does the rib, what do the ribs protect your heart? They surround your heart. They protect your heart. God took one out of the place in another one's life that guards his heart and created his mate. Does that not communicate in some way his her role? And vice versa, obviously. Obviously protector of the heart do i let my mate protect my heart you give me just a moment (laughs) she's having to think of a response Um, and then lastly and i'm through Um, the last tool that I thought of that I'm trying to work on and I really am trying to work on it this year I'm really work, trying to work on all these the last one that I'm trying to work on this year just has to do with the light of humility um, the Bible says three different times in James and First Peter and in Proverbs God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to people that listen. God gives grace to those that receive counsel from the wise. And let me apply that in my own life to, uh, to you. I am working very hard hard. That when Sherry or Jerry or Don or Chuck or Randy says something to me that I will not respond, says something to me difficult, okay, the context is difficult, something I don't want to hear. Not just, well, you look good today or, boy, you're smart, that's not what I mean, I'm I mean, they say something to me, Michael says something to me that I don't want to hear. I am working hard to come up with a response other than that's not true. You're angry, that's not true. You're selfish, that's not true. You told a lie. That's not true. You only think of yourself. That's not true. You don't spend enough time with your children. That's not true. You're not handling our monies well. That's not true. We hear difficult things from people that love us. And our first response, my first response so often is, that's not true. And I'm trying. What is that? What is that response? Self-deception. Self-deception. Oh, that I can. Busy. Rather than telling you that's not true. Oh, for God to give me the grace to humble myself and say. Could you tell me when I do that? Or how I do that so that I can learn not to do it again. That's a humble answer. That's not true. That's a prideful answer. That's an arrogant answer. But for Chuck to say, Larry, you're snapping at your wife and speaking disrespectfully about her in public. When I, you know, we were all sitting around yapping and talking and laughing, and you said some things about Lee that were just disrespectful, and you don't not do that. But I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Chuck, tell me how I did that, when I did that, so that I can work on it. I'm telling you, I'm con- I am. I-, I hear it. Almost every day, a couple will come into my house and sit on my couch, and one of them will say, When my mate does this, it is hurtful, it's destructive, it's separating, it's alienating. And the other, 99% of the time, the go to answer is, That's not true. Oh, for a, a, a response. I'm not sure I agree, but could you tell me how I do that, or when I do that, or the last time I did that? Because I want to learn to avoid that in the future. I'm telling y'all, that is a life changing adjustment of response, self deception. It's a battle we all should be fighting. It is an enemy that we all face. And it is relentless. And it is life-threatening. And it can be devastating. If we don't take it seriously. All of us. All of us. Um, I hope you'll think about that with me. And work on that with me in this coming year. Uh, Bobby, you and Susan want to come up and help me, please? Thank you. Psalm 119 says, Lord, keep me from lying to myself. Give me grace to know your truth. Lord, keep me from lying to myself. Give me grace to know, that, to know your truth. The Lord Jesus, 2,000 years ago, took bread. And he told his closest friends, when y'all get together after I've died and risen again and gone back to heaven, I want you to eat bread because it represents my body that I willingly gave as a sacrifice and let it be hung on a cross so that it could provide the forgiveness and the redemption and the adoption that mankind needs, desperately needs. I want you to eat that bread and as you crush that grain crushed my body I want you to remember how the sins of the world crushed my body and then he said I want you to take wine like in these little cups the purple's wine and the yellow's grape juice Um, but he took wine and he said guys I want you to drink wine when you get together and as that wine flows down your throat I want you to remember my blood that flowed out of my body Out of my face and back and side and hands and feet. And I want you to remember that that blood is what provides your forgiveness. Washes away your sins and makes you white as snow in the eyes of God. I want you to remember and I want you to give thanks. And so, on behalf of my Savior, I want to invite you, those of you that are trusting In the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. To forgive your sins. To redeem you. And to adopt you into God's family. If that's what you believe and are doing. That's what you're trusting in. Then you come and you eat and you drink. And you remember and you give thanks. There will be people over by these windows. And over by these windows. Who would love to pray with you. If you need prayer please don't leave here needing prayer and not letting somebody pray with you that'll pray in faith Uh, they'll pray in faith for you and they'll keep it to themselves but they'll pray and so i invite you to benefit from that if if that is your need okay you come